0: Hey, before you sit down, why don't you take a couple minutes and turn around and greet those around you this morning. settle down, settle down, don't get too, you know, I'm just teasing, you know that, I love it, we're family, well, I'd say we want to treat ourselves like family, maybe that's not true, no, we won't go there. Hey, uh, before we uh, get into the message this morning, I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who helped make Vacation Bible School possible this past weekend, and actually it ends today here at the Oasis. Crystal just feels like this was just a great weekend, uh, and I, I do too. Uh, if you weren't here for any of it, they literally, all these people turned the auditorium here at Bashat into a spaceship. And uh, that's probably pretty appropriate because I'm usually in space anyway. So, uh, but it was amazing. If you Friday night we came in here, Lisa and I was just like, "Wow, they really did transform this place into a spaceship." And I just I know not everyone's in here. Some people are obviously still over with Crystal helping out this morning. But I want to take time to acknowledge, recognize, thank those who did. Help make this weekend possible. If you helped out in any way with VBS, and I know who you are. If you don't stand, I'm going I'm to call you out. Would you please stand right now so that we can show our appreciation to you? Come on now. Come on. You helped out with VBS? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. An amazing weekend. Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans chapter 6. Going through this great book of Romans, Paul lays out for us in this book what I believe should be our Christian worldview, how to make sense of things, how to make sense of life, how to navigate life, what do we need in our sort of spiritual backpack, if you will, to be able to get through successfully and to prosper in this life. And Paul's laying it all out for us. In the book of Romans. Now there's three key words I want us to focus on today in the passage we're going to look at. Because we're only going to look at chapter 6 from verse 1 through verse 11. So in those 11 verses there are three key words that Paul really lays on us that are our responsibility. The first word is the word no. The second word is the word believe, and the third word is the word consider. Those three words, know, believe, and consider. In fact, even going back to just what we just sang about, do we know He's mighty to save, do we believe He's mighty to save, and do we consider every day that He's mighty to save? See, this is where Paul's coming from. He's saying, as a Christian... In order to navigate life, I've got to know certain things, I've got to believe certain things, and I've got to continually consider certain things. Notice in these first 11 verses that Paul uses the word know three times in just 11 verses. In verse 3, he's sort of chiding them for not knowing, if you will, but it's the same word in the Greek language. In verse 6, he starts out that verse with, We know. And then in verse 9, he says, we know. A very important word. What do we know? And Paul is saying that Christians should never be ignorant or uninformed or not knowing certain things about what the Christian life is all about. And so this implies from the letter of, of Romans that there is the possibility... That many people can be Christians. They can have Jesus in their heart. He can be their savior, and yet they still really don't know what it means to be a Christian. Now think about that. that that's sobering to think about that. And that's why Paul uses the word no. By the way, this word no means to acquire information by whatever means. It, do I really want to know? Do I have a desire to know, in a sense, God more and more of what God has said in his word? What are we doing in our individual Christian lives to advance or increase our knowledge of God? That's a great question we always need to be asking ourselves as Christians. What are we doing continually to advance or increase Our knowledge of God. Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, my aim, my goal in life is to know him. Same word he's using here in Romans chapter 6. What do we know? And we're going to talk about what we should know in this chapter, in these 11 verses in just a moment. But the challenge is for us knowing and growing in our knowledge. You see, Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter, chapter three, verse 18. And I think, again, we as Christians can get so easily distracted and, and we don't really make a priority increasing or advancing in our knowledge. And then let me go a step further. Making sure that the knowledge that we are increasing and accumulating is accurate, it's true, it's right, it's correct. Because if we are accumulating knowledge that is false, if, if we're accumulating you know, knowledge that's not true, then it's not going to benefit us at all. In fact, it's going to upset our Christian life and our walk with God. So again, I want to direct your attention to this word three times, verse 3, verse 6, and verse 9, the word no. And I want that word to sort of sit with us, not just today, but in the days and weeks ahead, to be reminded of how am I increasing or advancing my knowledge? And do I even have a desire to know more of God? Do I have that hunger and thirst to place myself in environments where I can know more of God? Very important. But then, notice also in verse uh, 8, he uses the word believe. He says, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. This word believe, very important. It means to accept something as true And therefore it will continually alter my life. In other words, again, the Bible it totally is foreign to a concept of someone believing something and it not changing a person's life. In the Bible, the word believe means to accept something as true, to to trust what God says, to accept what God says to receive it and then have it alter my life continually. So in other words, Paul's saying it's possible that we can know things, but really not believe them. And Paul's challenging all of us. It's not just a matter of knowing it is a matter of believing. Am I taking God at his word? Am I entrusting, if you will, my life, my well-being, everything to him? Am I fully resting on God and what he said? That's what it means to believe. And then the final word is in verse 11. He says, so we too consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word consider means to take something into account continually. It means to think about, to meditate on, to focus my thoughts on this. In other words, again, it's not enough just to know it. It's not enough just to believe it. That Paul says what we are teaching people in the Word of God needs to be something that continually occupies their thoughts. It's a priority of my thinking. That's what the word consider means. To take into account continually over and over and over again. To ruminate on, if you will. Again, to meditate on. That's what Paul is directing us to do. Now you'll notice here in these 11 verses that Paul uses the word no three times, only uses the word believe once and the word consider once. And I think there's a good reason for that, because knowledge is still the foundation of it all. I can't believe in something I don't know. I can't consider something that I don't know. So I've got to start with that. I've got to make that my first priority to know God, to know him more, to know what his word says more and more so that I give myself more to believe in and more to consider, to focus on. Paul says this is the key. This is how we as Christians come to really understand what it means to be a Christian. To be a follower of Jesus Christ. So with those three words now before us, those three words that I think God wants us to continually consider, if you will, know, believe, and consider, let's now look at a couple of the things Paul is talking to us to know to believe and to consider in these first 11 verses of Romans chapter six. First of all, he says in verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to remain in sin that grace may increase? Paul says, verse two, absolutely not. Unthinkable. A thousand times no, Paul says, that should never be the case. So the first thing that Paul's laying out for us in this chapter, that he wants us to know, that he wants us to believe, that he wants us to continually consider is a proper understanding of God's grace. See, Paul is saying to the Romans and to anyone who will listen, that down through history, many Christians have never really had a proper understanding of grace. Because when you teach grace, as you should from the Word of God, this actually is going to be a question that should come up if you're teaching the Bible right. Because it's going to sound to many people who hear it, when you're teaching on grace that you're saying, well, you know, we need to focus on grace. Yeah, that's exactly what we need to focus on to live the Christian life. You mean I don't focus on a set of rules? It's no longer this big long list of do's and don'ts? You mean I don't have a law now to somehow focus on? And when people hear that, especially based upon the spiritual background that they come from, they think that when a person then teaches on grace as we should, that somehow what that translates to them is that means I can live however I want to live. No rules. No. They don't have a proper understanding of grace, Paul is saying here. Because if you go back up to the very last verse of chapter 5, as he, because again, remember, Even though there are chapter divisions and verses in our English Bible, there's no such division in the original Bible, if you will. It all flows together. And sometimes chapter divisions are good just to organize things. Other times they sort of do the flow of what's being said in the Bible a disservice because people sort of just stop at a chapter beginning. But notice in chapter 5, verse 21, Paul is talking to us about grace reigning in our life. God has provided for us his grace because through Adam, as we learned about last week, sin entered the world, death reigned, sin reigned. Oh, but God gave us something greater, his grace. And notice what Paul says in verse 21. That God's grace, if I have a proper understanding of it, will equal three things. It will equal righteousness. It will equal eternal life. It will equal Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, what Paul's saying is if I truly have a proper understanding of grace, then I understand God's grace far from giving me this license to live how I want to, actually will lead me to a life of greater righteousness, of doing what's right in God's eyes all the time. And if I truly understand God's grace, it will lead to eternal life. And again, remember, eternal life is not primarily a quantity of life. It is a quality of life, if you will. And then he talks about it leading or equaling Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, Paul is saying... When we understand God's grace, it's going to get me closer to Jesus, not further away. It's going to make me become more like Jesus, not the opposite. So Paul here is saying, do you know, do you have a knowledge of a proper understanding of grace in our lives? And then do we believe it? Do we believe that God's provision, this power that he gives us, truly can bring about righteousness and eternal life and, and a close fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ and then do I even consider it all the time am I focused on his grace cause see again many people think that I'll become a better person I'll grow as a Christian whenever I focus on the set of rules that's either been passed down to me or I've made up myself or the laws and all that that's how I become a better person The Bible teaches just the opposite. That won't do anything but actually make you a more creative sinner. That's all that the law will do. In fact, here's what Paul said to the Galatians. Listen to this. Paul said, if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died in vain. In other words, why did Christ come and die if we could be made righteous by the law? then there would have never been any reason for Jesus to come if the law can make a person righteous. As we talked about last week, that was never the purpose of God's law. Nothing wrong with God's law, but God gave his law as an x-ray, as we talked about last week. It shows me what's there, what's really there, what needs to be changed, what needs to be corrected. But it doesn't give me any more than an x-ray gives a surgeon. It doesn't give me anything to deal with it. It just points it out. God's grace is the provision of God that helps me to overcome, to see victory, to, to rise above things and all that. that's God's grace. And so Paul is saying, do we really have a proper understanding of grace? Do we know grace? Do we believe in this grace? And do we carefully consider this grace every day that we live? Then second, notice as we go on, verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul's now saying, Christian, do you know You died to sin? And do you believe that? And do you consider that every day of your Christian life? What's Paul mean by we're dead to sin? Well, go down to verse 6. We know that our old man, the in the past, long ago, before Jesus man, if you will, was crucified with Jesus. Doesn't that remind us of Galatians 2.20, where Paul says to the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do I understand what happened when I accepted Christ as my Savior? Paul goes on. We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin that we still carry, that old fallen nature we talked about last week through Adam, would no longer dominate us. Listen, he doesn't say we won't sin. Again, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's no such thing as perfection in this life before we get to glory. But what died to sin does mean is that God gave us, through our relationship with Christ in salvation, a superior force that was going to flood into our life God's grace that was greater than sin. And with that grace was obviously going to come the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying there is this. If I understand, if I know I died to sin... If I believe I've died to sin, if I consider every day that I've died to sin, then he says there will never be a sin that basically dominates me because God gave me a superior force. Think of it as light destroys darkness. It's not that there's not darkness, but light is greater than darkness so that wherever there's darkness, you flip on a light, the light wins. God is saying here, Christian, I know you still have your old fallen nature. And I know you're going to sin every once in a while. You're not going to be perfect yet. But being freed and dying to sin means that there should never be a point in a Christian life where I'm dominated by sin. Where I'm dominated by anything other than God himself. He alone should be my master. Not anyone or anything else. Notice he goes on to say, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, in bondage, subordinate to, for someone who has died has been freed from sin. You and I, Christian, are delivered and loosed from the power of sin. Is sin still present? We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sin, the principle of sin is still present in us because we have these bodies that eventually we got to lay down. But Paul says to the Romans and to us, do you know you have a superior force in your life so that if you sin, it's because you choose to not because you have to. Because there's a greater force, a greater force. And do you believe that? And then do you consider it over and over and over again? Paul said that's the only way we can truly live the life that God wants us to live. Notice again, the word freed. We talk about that. We sing about the fact that we are free. But Paul is saying here, do I know it? Do I believe it? And do I consider it? And then Paul goes from... A proper knowledge of the grace of God. To a proper knowledge of what it means to be dead to sin. Oh, by the way, I even forgot this verse. Look at verse 11. So we too consider ourselves what? Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. By the way, that word dead there means to be separated forever. Forever. God said once a person accepts Christ as their savior, we are separated forever from the penalty of sin, from the dominating power of sin, and one day from the very presence of sin. That's what Paul's teaching here. Do I know that? Do I believe it? Do I consider it? And then Paul goes from a proper understanding of grace. And what it means to be dead to sin. To then teaching something else here. Verse 3. Do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you know what it means to be baptized into Jesus? Again, let's be mindful of what the word baptism means. It means to be placed into a new environment that yields a permanent change. That's what baptism is. To be placed in a new environment that yields a permanent change. That's why I've told you before the Greeks would use the term baptize when they pickled something. Because they would take, for instance, a cucumber. And they would immerse it in this liquid. And that cucumber would be baptized in that liquid. And therefore it was forever changed. So Paul is saying to Christians. Again, do you know what it means to be a Christian? Do you know that you have been baptized into Jesus? Notice what Paul goes on to say about this. He says in verse 4, Therefore, We have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, so we too may live a new life. By the way, the word new here, Paul could have chosen two Greek words. He could have chosen one that speaks about newness as far as regards to time goes, but he didn't choose that one. He chose the word that speaks about a new quality of something. Paul saying, you realize that the whole reason you and I were baptized into Jesus is so we could experience a new higher quality of life, the abundant life that Jesus said, I've come to give for notice what he says in verse five, for if we have become united with him, the word united means to be inseparably linked. Do you know that Christian? Do you believe that? Do you consider that every day that you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are inseparably linked to Jesus? Notice he says, if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united, inseparably linked in the likeness of his resurrection. By the way, I know I'm losing my voice. Don't pay attention. We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us. If we died, verse 8, with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The word with means to be linked in union, literally entwined with Jesus. Do you know that? Truth? Do you believe that? truth? Do you consider that truth and ponder it and think about it and meditate on it? And here's why this is important. Let me ask you this question. How would your life, I'm not even going to say Christian life, that's assumed here. I don't mean I'm assuming everybody's a Christian, but for the sake of what we're talking about here how would your life look differently if you knew from the moment that you got up this morning till the moment you actually went to bed and even in those sleeping hours that Jesus Christ was right there with you by your side every second of the day. That physically, he was present. Thank you, sir. Thank you. How would that change the way you live or even look at life or navigate life and deal with things if you knew Jesus Christ was right there beside of you every step of the way? I would dare say, if we're honest, that most of us would say, yeah, you know what? I'd look at that differently. I would have handled that differently because he's right there. There's something empowering about knowing that everywhere I walk, even as I came into the auditorium today, if I walked in with Jesus by my side, I might have even looked different as I walked in. But see, here's what Paul's saying. He is by your side. You are inseparably linked to Jesus. You can no more somehow, you know, leave him behind as a Christian. Then all of a sudden, he's not able somehow to sustain the universe. It can't be done. That's why Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always with you. That's why, can I say, that's why Jesus got so upset at the disciples that when they were, he was literally even physically in the boat with them going across the Sea of Galilee when the storm came up and he was still sleeping, they were freaking out. Don't you care, Jesus, we're going to die. And Jesus is like, little faith. I'm even here with you and you're still freaking out. What are you going to be like when I go back to my father? Are you going to understand that when I go back to my father, I'm still with you? And see, this is where I think many Christians really don't understand who they are and what they have. And the fact that Jesus really is with you every second of your life. You are inseparably linked. You are in union with him every moment of the day. Do you know that? Do you believe that and do you consider that over and over again throughout your day? Paul says, these are the things we need to know because it'll change the way we live or it'll change what our life looks like. These are the things we need to believe for the same reason. And these are the things we need to continually consider because it's going to change the whole trajectory and destiny of our earthly life. What do we know? What do we believe? What are we considering? Now, up to this point, you and I may think, well, Paul's pretty much focused on the whole head thing. You know, he's talked about knowing, he's talked about believing, he's talked about considering. So he's really focused on our thinking, our mind, the analytical, the intellectual. Absolutely. Because we do have to understand as Christians that the greatest battleground that we may have between us and those outside forces that try to oppose us is our thinking. So that's why it's so important that we know, that we believe, and that we continually consider certain things. Because the battle is going to take place in our mind. But God doesn't want us, nor does Paul want us to think again, that this is just a head thing. Paul says, no, it's really much more than that. It's also a heart thing. It's got to be both. It's got to be our head in the right place and our heart in the right place. Why do I say that? Notice again what Paul says at the very end of, or in verse 11, the last verse we're going to look at today. He says, so we too, you too, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word alive is the heart word of this whole passage. Paul's saying, Look, it's very important where our head's at. We got to know, we got to believe, we got to consider. But Paul says, Head's not enough. It goes along and complements our heart. And we've got to understand the importance of our heart being where it needs to be with God. See, this word alive means to be full of life in him. In a sense, it's a way that Paul was trying to describe God reigning in our hearts. Because he's talked about, through Adam, death is reigning, and sin is reigning, and then through Christ, grace is reigning, and righteousness reigns, but... And we reign as we talked about last week. But now Paul says, but there's something else that needs to reign. And that is that God needs to reign in our lives. In fact, Paul is saying here and then going to link it with what we're going to talk about continuing on in chapter six and in chapter seven. If my heart is with God. If I truly love God and he's the focus of my life then the knowledge and the desire to know him more and believe in him and consider all these things will actually come out of my heart for God. My head will follow my heart. We all know that to be true. Whatever we really are passionate about, wherever our heart is, that's where our head and our thoughts go. That's why Paul ends this passage With the thought of us being alive to God. Are we alive to God? We can have life in God, we can be saved, but it doesn't mean we're alive to God. That He truly is our priority and our passion. And the reason we know this to be true of Christians is because Jesus Christ himself speaking to a church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation tells that church, I have this against you. You have left your first love. I am no longer the love of your life. I'm no longer the most important thing. I'm no longer the priority of your life. It's the whole reason why God in the book of Genesis asked Abraham to actually be willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Because in the book of Genesis, the very first time the word love is used in the Bible is in connection not with Abraham's love for God, but Abraham's love of his son Isaac. Now listen, God nor the Bible is against us loving our children or loving one another. But God does say, the very first even law or commandment in the Ten Commandments is what? You shall have no other gods before me. Abraham had got to a point where he was putting Isaac above God. And God said, you need to be willing to put me above him that's why God asked him to sacrifice. Because God, more than anything else, wanted Abraham's heart. Because when he would, if Abraham was alive to God, then the head would follow. The passion would be there. Is God our life? Or for many Christians today, is is our relationship with him just something we just sort of add to all this other stuff? And God, when we find time for you and your people and your word and prayer, you know, we'll fit it into the things we want to do. But you're not really the priority. Paul said to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul said to the Colossians, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we shall appear with him in glory. We can be spiritually alive in Christ. But not be alive to God. Because alive is what we're alive to. It's what really our thoughts and our head is focused on. It's what is our heartbeat. It's what is our passion. That's what it means to be alive to God. And notice Paul in verse 11 says, This should be something we carefully consider continually. The greatest commandment Jesus ever gave on earth. Was this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's the greatest. That's what it means to be alive to God. So Paul says to the Roman Christians who have the power within them through Christ to change the world and to change their world. And now he says to those of us at the Oasis in Chandler, Arizona, who have the power to change this world and to change our world. Do you know? Do you believe? And do you consider? Do you know what grace is really about? Do you know what it means to be dead to sin? Do you know what it means to be baptized into Christ? You all may think, boy, Jeff, you're, you're awful passionate about this. Can I tell you that even just since we started the Oasis, this is how relevant this is. That there are people who have left our church for another church for this reason. Jeff, you speak too much about grace. You're you're letting people off somehow. You know, you, you need to, you need to give them law and 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 you need to, you know. Even in this environment, people aren't getting it. The connections are not being made. And so they end up going to a legalistic church. Under a pastor who's going to tell them, here's the set of rules you've been looking for. Here's the do's and don'ts. And they're miserable. Because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died in vain. Folks, Christians need to know these things. They need to believe these things. They need to consider these things. And it starts with us. Because if this is our foundation, then God can use us to build up someone else's foundation. And by the way, can I say that's what thrill? one of the things, one of the many things that thrills me about being the pastor of this church is because that's even happening on the smallest, greatest level. Watching those children of yours, those grandchildren of yours, soaking up the correct knowledge of God through our children's ministry and being able to grow up in a church unlike many of you where you never heard the Bible until way later on in life. These kids are getting a great start and a great foundation. And God can use them to change the world. God can use you too. But it starts with what we know, what we believe, what we consider. We're going to sing this last song in just a moment. And this song that we're going to end with today is all about giving our all to Jesus. Laying it all on the line. That's our stand. We are taking our stand and we're saying, God, everything I have is yours. Are you alive to God today? As we sing, let's make this song a song of of commitment and dedication from us to God. And say, God, my heart's been somewhere else. And therefore, my head's been somewhere else. I'm giving you today, God, my heart, knowing that my head will follow. Let's pray. God, we thank you. For giving us truth that we can stand on. And truth that we can take a stand on. And God, I pray today that we have heard the heart of you today in this passage of Scripture. Not my heart, not Paul's heart, but your heart. God, you are reaching into our life through your powerful word and you are calling us to know, calling us to believe, calling us to consider. And you're calling us to be alive to you. God, we can have your life in us, but not be alive. Help us as a church to be alive. Not in some manufactured way, not in some made-up way, but just the natural outpouring and flow of your Holy Spirit's life within us. And help us to do the same, Lord, as individual followers of you. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing the stand.